Welcome to Customer Value Cast, a podcast dedicated to helping you acquire, retain, and expand more customers by putting measurable value at the heart of your customer lifecycle. Join our host, Ross Fulton, founder and CEO of ValueWise, as he dives deep into how reoccurring revenue businesses are maximizing their growth and valuations with the industry's leading experts and pioneers. Welcome to this, the latest episode of the ValueWise Customer Value Cast, the show dedicated to putting measurable value at the heart of your customer lifecycle so your recurring revenue business can retain and expand more customers. Extremely excited for today's conversation with G2U as a very much a pioneering leader in an incredible company in HubSpot. G2 Matani, EVP of Customer Success at HubSpot. And uh, we've got some very interesting material to drill into today, focused on a, an evolution around value-based customer engagement that you've driven at HubSpot. Thanks for joining us today. No, I appreciate the opportunity to join, Ross. I'm looking forward to sharing today. Perfect. So G2, for the very rare circumstance where someone may not have heard of HubSpot, but certainly maybe where members of the audience haven't had a chance to connect with you before, share a little bit about your professional journey, how you've arrived in the very important role you have at HubSpot, and of course, a little bit about HubSpot as well. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully most people have heard of HubSpot, but as you said, a few may not have as yet. So uh, we're headquartered in Cambridge, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we're the company that coined the term inbound. And in the original days, we had a marketing hub or marketing product, but today we are a full suite CRM platform with multiple hubs that ultimately helps our customers grow better, which is the mission of our business, which is to help our customers grow better at the end of the day. In terms of my background, Ross, I've been with HubSpot close to 14 years now. I started in a sales role. I was one of the early members of our channel team and ended up spending about seven years on the road opening offices for HubSpot. Started with Dublin, which was our first international office. We ended up doing three offices in Europe. Then I moved from Dublin to Singapore, did a couple more in Asia, and then eventually moved back to Boston, which is where I am based right now. And as part of that journey opening international, which is a really awesome journey for HubSpot, given the the size of our international business, it's pretty significant for a U.S. headquartered uh, B2B SaaS company. So that was definitely one of our home runs, I would say, is going global. But, you know, I got back to Boston and a couple of years ago, I was looking for a new challenge and Brian and Yamini recommended I move over to the CS side of things. So I run our global CS organization today. It's about 1,500 HubSpotters, and it is spread across four pillars. The first one being what we call success. Uh, you can think of your success pillar as your customer success managers, and we have different segmentation models. We have a second pillar that is professional services, even though we lean quite significantly into our awesome partner ecosystem that plays a huge role with driving usage and outcomes in our install base. There's a third pillar, which is our global support crew. And our last pillar is called customer experience, where we have a lot of like deep capabilities that are available to the other three pillars and where we do work like customer journey mapping in the process of identifying customer inflection points that can be used by the other three pillars ultimately to drive customer outcomes. So that's the goal of CS to drive outcomes for our customer base and ultimately help HubSpot hits its revenue goals. Awesome. Awesome. That's a great journey. And I know it's been a action-packed couple of years 
since your focus has become customer success in HubSpot. And excited to drill into and unpack some of the, the learnings and I guess outcomes you've driven over those couple of years. Because I know that the engagement framework around customer success is something that's evolved significantly over those two years, certainly in alignment to a lot of what we at ValueWise and what we talk about on this show around focusing around measurable, tangible value and connecting that to the customer lifecycle. Maybe G2, drill into, I guess, the landscape you found or that you initially encountered when you switched to that CS focus and HubSpot and what served as a catalyst for driving the evolution that you have around the customer engagement model and focusing it onto that tangible area of customer value. What was the catalyst? Yeah, it's a good question, Russ. Maybe to just rewind a little bit, when I moved over to the CS side, we had reached a point in our journey where we had gone from single product to multi-product to a platform. So install base was becoming a really critical part of our expansion opportunity. So when you're in a single product, you know, you could have your North Star as a CS organization being customer dollar retention, which I think some folks call gross retention. But when you move over to a multi-product platform type scenario, you have a really incredible opportunity within CS to drive expansion from those multi-hubs across your installed base. So we started shifting from customer dollar retention to uh, revenue retention. That was really one of the big changes we did when I moved over to CS. And it's been great. It's been compelling in terms of how we've been able to help our customers go from one hub to uh, multi-hubs and eventually to the whole suite. I'll pause there just to see if that makes sense in terms of when I moved or why we wanted to make that move from customer dollar to Reverend. And frankly, also my sales background was helpful to bring, you know, how do you do a great discovery call? How do you help your customers see what's coming around the corner? And ultimately helping them think about not what's in front of them, but ultimately what are their long-term goals and how HubSpot can play a role in solutions, platform to help them get to those goals. It makes total sense. And again, very much touching a a major theme that we're seeing across the enterprise B2B SaaS and technology space around how do we drive what we would frame in value-wise as that net dollar retention in terms of shoring up retention of revenue, but thinking about expansion. And yes, that expansion having a lens as a vendor around driving revenue from that existing customer base to supplement the retention that's already happening, but also expansion of value for those customers. What are the new outcomes that a customer can reach by engaging and investing in other hubs and combining hubs? And what does that look like as a journey? How do we evolve our customer lifecycle to ensure that that expansion of value is planned out and executed, which then, again, obviously cascades down into the economic return for the vendor, in in this case, HubSpot. So it makes total sense. And I think, again, where we're seeing organizations be very successful with that evolution is that injection of that sales leadership and sales experience into the, not to say that HubSpot viewed it as legacy, but that legacy CS domain that was maybe initially not focused so much around growth, but more just almost like a defense function. I think that injection of the sales and thinking about sort of the next value is a very important piece that GDU clearly brought to the equation. Yeah, totally, Ross. And maybe, you know, also to highlight more on, you know, what you're touching upon, which is ultimately a customer value. And what we've seen at the end of the day, what I think you call classic or maybe sometimes legacy CSM is it often may feel like as a CSM, you are running your day-to-day a bit more unstructured. You could feel like you are 
sometimes the chief problem solver. And that's sort of like what I see in the old world, but in the new world, you as a CSM are the strategic advisor, the top mm -hmm. leader who can ultimately help your customers do what you describe, which is generate results from their business by using the strategic advice and of course using the solution that they've purchased from you. But one of the things we have seen is in that unstructured world, it gets really hard to think about what is the math and science in terms of an engagement model on how you should work with your customers. And when you don't have sort of a, a formula, naturally you react. And as we know, when you react, you just might miss the mark or you might miss the boat on the right time. You should be connecting with your customers. So one of the things we ended up doing is what we call this optimal engagement uh, cadence. And it's all around this engagement model, which is about generating value for your customers. And we kind of ran these uh, almost like an experiment. There were two cohorts. There was a group of customers that got an engagement model that was not prescriptive, where bias group of CSMs would just simply follow. You can call it unstructured. Unstructured sounds bad, but what most CSMs or many CSMs do is stay in touch with their customers, but it doesn't follow a consistent engagement cadence. And we had a different group of CSMs where we put in place an engagement framework whereby you would connect and engage with your customers on a fixed schedule. And what we ended up seeing is that group that was engaging on a, more of a prescriptive cadence had a much higher retention, a much higher renewal rate, and higher also a gross and net revenue retention. So that was eye-opening to us. There's a way whereby if you can design a, a CSM engagement model that is going to take away the guesswork and is going to create more of a predictive, prescriptive, action-driven model, your CSMs don't need to think about, well, when do I call the customer? We've identified stages in the customer journey when, as a CSM, you should complete that engagement. An example could be when a customer goes from onboarding to ongoing usage, sort of like you've completed your first milestone as part of onboarding. That's the time when you want to have a CSM engagement. So there's a clean handover from the professional services team over to you as a CSM. And then post-onboarding, you've got this ongoing usage until you hit your renewal. The old world is, well, you might just make a call before renewal. Well, that's not great. You need to have prescriptive recommendations on maybe month six, maybe month nine. And also, it shouldn't feel transactional. Well, we're giving you when you make that engagement. And also, here's a playbook you use to make that engagement based on usage data, product telemetry, so that when you do that engagement, you're able to drive value for your customer. So that's what I would describe, Ross, as being a strong transformation that has happened in our CSM organization when it comes to value-driven engagements, is establishing this engagement cadence. And I like it because it creates more predictability from an outcome standpoint, both for the customer and us, which, of course, we as a business like from a result standpoint. Yeah. No, no, predictability is the name of the game for sure. But as you say, it goes both ways, not just keep the markets and the CFO happy, but also customers like predictability as well. And that prescriptive model, yes, very much close to our hearts here at ValueWise. And I love the A-B testing. I know you didn't use the language A-B testing, but kind of like an A-B testing approach around this. Take one cohort or sub-segment and either keep it going on the status quo or maybe proactively try model A with them versus another cohort or sub-segment and put in what you 
obviously standardized on, which was that more prescriptive model. It's yeah, very much plays to this agile approach that we are strong proponents of when it comes to designing and rolling out these types of evolutions or transformations around the customer lifecycle and isn't just applicable to thinking about systems and operations in that area, but also the fundamental strategy design and taking a very agile approach. I guess that points us to the teams, the roles that obviously, in addition to yourself, that were there and instrumental in designing that prescriptive framework and designing that new engagement model prior to then rolling it out and actually having executed by your frontline teams. What were the roles and the teams that were involved in building that? Because I think that's where, again, we see a lot of companies, they get the idea and they may even have quite a clear vision around what the model could be, but getting to that level of detailed design and making sure they have the right resources and, and teams involved becomes a bottleneck occasionally. So curious how that worked for you. Yeah, yeah. One of the things at HubSpot that we emphasize, and giving a little bit more context before I share more about the team, we have this thing, Ross, that is solve for the customer, SFTC. And we always say SFTC is greater than HubSpot, is greater than team, is greater than the individual. And when we follow that equation, it makes it easy to always do the right thing. And I'm sharing this because we at HubSpot are very ingrained in that equation, which is the first step is solve for the customer. So when it came to the teams that could help us design that experiment that we just went over, helping us figure out what should be that engagement cadence, what are the KPIs, it made it easy because we're all vested and focused on driving outcomes for our customer base. And to your question in terms of the teams that played a role, there are a couple. The first one is part of our revenue operations team, and we have a RevOps group, and our RevOps group is all our ops teams uh, roll up to one RevOps umbrella to one leader. And within RevOps, there is a team that is focused on customer success. We call it CSSO. It's fundamentally like customer success, so operations and strategy or strategy and operations. And that was the group that I would say is sort of like the the driver. They work with the functional leaders to come up with what are the parameters of that experiment? What are the hypotheses that we're trying to validate? For example, the engagement cadence, does it result to better renewal rates and better outcomes? And then the ongoing tracking of the experiment, of course, today it is a, a full-fledged program that is part of the whole CSM organization globally. But RevOps and a team within RevOps focused on CS played a big role. The other, understandably, is the functional leaders. So within my org, as I mentioned, we have a pillar, which is success. So our VP of success partnered as the business partner with our CSSO team, RevOps team. And we have an enablement group. And similar to we have a team focused on CS within RevOps, we have a team within enablement focused on our CSMs to drive productivity of our CSMs and also to drive ultimately like outcomes for the customers. So these three teams, I would say, played a critical role in terms of early stages, designing the experiment, validating the hypotheses, and then ultimately helping us roll it out globally. The one thing that I do find, and not that we're perfect, but I do find many organizations not sweat enough about is really the comms and change management aspect of any CS chain. I think this is one where, for example, this engagement cadence where you take a CSM organization from do it the way you would just do it feels like a bit unstructured to no, actually, you need to follow an engagement model. It's prescriptive, can feel like a big change. So enablement plays a huge role in terms of helping them understand the why, of course, with functional leaders. 
and ultimately helping them understand what's in it for our customers if it's better for our customers and what's in it for you. Because if your customers are successful, back to that equation, if your customer is successful, then you naturally will be successful. So I'd say, yeah, those three teams, if I ever have to do this again from scratch, I would be assessing about alignment between your ops teams, your functional teams, and your enablement, including comms and change management, and ensuring your leadership is playing a key role in driving buy-in when you're trying to drive a transformational change like this. Yeah, no, I think it's such an important call out that equation. I will additionally call out that distinction you've got in the name around sort of strategy and operations that you have around customer success, I think is, again, something we're seeing recognized and built out increasingly in enterprise tech companies, but still more commonly than not, there might be an operations function. Do they have accountability and empowerment around strategy? Not as often. And I think it's, it's very important not to say that that team should be developing the strategy, designing the strategy in isolation. To your point, it needs to be done in partnership with the line of business leaders and the frontline teams, but still having that accountability around strategy design, customer lifecycle design, and providing that what we describe in ValueWise as being this sort of bilingual capability of we're going to look at this from an operational perspective and think about the realities of what we can do through the systems and data that we have access to inside the organization and make sure the strategy design acknowledges that reality as well as takes advantage of all the capabilities that do exist within those systems and operations. But similarly, be able to look at the strategy design as it relates to solving for the customer, to your point, and addressing business priorities. Where we see those two concepts be maybe more siloed and there's maybe an operations team just waiting for strategy designs to come flow downhill. And they're like, okay, I get the why of that for the business, but that has no reflection of what we can and can't do with our current data availability or systems landscape. That again becomes a bit of a challenge to drive progress in. So the the strategy operations piece, I think, is super important. I'd love to sort of drill a bit deeper into that and think about and learn more about the sort of systems approach you did take. Because it's always fascinating to myself and the audience of this show when we're talking to company that is by nature customer orientated and customer centric because of what your technology does and what you're what you're taking to market, as opposed to we talk to lots of categories and grades of enterprise technology companies and some that are back-end technology that are utilities that you're never going to sort of see in a customer-facing frontline scenario. HubSpot is obviously the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So in terms of this G2 new customer engagement model centered around this prescriptive value motion, what was the approach, what has the approach been around operationalizing it? through systems to enable that motion to be executed day to day. Yeah, definitely. One thing just to add to, and I totally agree with you on how strategy and operations are fundamentally attached to the hip and they have to take each other on their journey as opposed to passing the buck from one side to the other. And that's probably worst case scenario when you're just passing strategy without truly understanding, you know, what is the underlying data and systems that the ops group is working with? Because ultimately, strategy is a set of choices. You want to make a set of choices that leverages the existing infrastructure and the data and systems roadmap in some ways. It's actually, to be completely candid, it's one of the reasons why we have ops and strategy rolling up under one organization, which is RevOps. In the old world, we had teams siloed in some ways, but now they all roll up to RevOps because your systems and data team, your 
strategy team, they all have clear shared goals as part of RevOps, which is ultimately to be awesome business partners to the functions and to help the functions drive outcomes for our customers. So I wanted to add that because I think that's something that I still see prevalent today is the separation of ops and strategy and systems and data sitting also on maybe the ops side. And I think there's definitely, at least in our case, we've seen a lot of awesome synergies by pulling them all together in one organization. But to your question, Ross, around how it went from an implementation standpoint, I think is what you were asking. Sorry, I couldn't stop myself to share a little bit more history on that RevOps. No, I think it's a very good thread you're calling out there. That centralization, again, just to sort of play that back and make sure I understood it correctly, is that centralization of, again, strategy and operations around customer lifecycle and centralizing it, in this case, under revenue operations, makes a ton of sense that being distinct from, well, you, that function, own this section of the customer lifecycle. So you work out your strategy and operations for that. And you over there, that function, you own this section of the customer lifecycle. You work your strategy and operations out. And we'll pray that they somehow connect. And yeah, we see that a lot and it doesn't work. And so that centralization theme you're calling out is a very, very important takeaway for sure. But yeah, a step back before that, yeah, I was opening up the topic around the operationalization of that prescriptive strategy that you did develop and what that looked like and what does look like from a systems approach and then how that yeah. evolve in the future was the other thread we were exploring. Sure. Yeah, totally. I think from a system standpoint, the way we think about it is we empower our reps. So we've shared with them what that engagement model looks like. And for example, just to you know break it down in the form of a bit of a story. If you're a CSM, for example, certain CSMs may have a book of business of 100 customers. And those 100 customers could be in different stages of their customer journey. Some might be in maybe onboarding, like your first 90 days. Some might be in your core use phase, like maybe month four to month nine. Some could be three months prior to their renewal, like the last three months. If I'm just using an example of a customer in their first year of subscription. So as a CSM, you have customers sitting in different stages. And you know what we ended up doing is from a system standpoint, a CSM should be able to, at any time, you know, look at a dashboard and see their 100 customers, as an example, and where are those different customers in those different stages of their customer journey. And what is the health score of a customer? What does usage look like for a customer? And they'll be able to sort out based on where a customer is in their journey and then also certain health metrics to prioritize which customer or which group of customers should they call today when they show up each morning. So that's sort of like a poll approach where CSM at any point can sit down and look at their book of business, uh, look at dashboards, look at various health characteristics and prioritize the customers that need a call today or later this week, for example. But understandably, it's one of those things where you want to plan that things may not go exactly as you planned, which is folks get busy. They have a lot going on at the same time. So sometimes the polling, as much as we'd like it to be perfect, the reality is it may not be perfect. So we've built an internal system that our CSMs use, which alerts them when a customer is due for an engagement and that engagement has not happened in the last X number of days. So that's a bit of a push model whereby CSMs will just be notified through email, through an alert-based system, then they'll be able to log in 
get similar views like they get in those dashboards, but it's a lot more richer, very comprehensive. And they'll be alerted. Customer X is due for an engagement. Here's why they're due for an engagement. For example, they might be you know, going from month three onboarding to core usage, or they might be going from core usage to a, a renewal window. They're due for a call. Here's a playbook you should use when you make the call. And by the way, here are a couple of insights that you should keep in mind when engaging with the customer. An insight could be, for example, they're using these X tools, but our data says that their peers in a given industry are using these other tools. And if they're able to turn on these other tools, they should see a higher outcome. So they're able to use these insights as part of the alert. They'll be given a playbook and then they're able to reach out to the customer. So it's a mix, Ross, of pulling from internal dashboards and also alerting and pushing them through uh, an alerting engine with the right insights and playbooks that they can use when connecting with the customer. Awesome. And that sounds very compelling. And the insights emphasis there towards the end is a, is a beautiful segue as we start to wrap up here to think of your view and vision around the, the future roadmap here and also tie into the topic that we can anyone do a podcast around technology today and not talk about AI <laughs> and advanced analytics and all that good stuff? Because I know it's the AI and advanced analytics piece is something that is already underway and being worked and operationalized in HubSpot in the context that we're talking about here. So I'd love to kind of get your perspective on how that approach of harnessing AI is happening today and then extend that into your vision for how this engagement model develops and how you continue to sort of leverage more of these technology innovations that are happening at a breakneck speed in our world right now. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, tough to uh, have a conversation without AI, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'd say we as an organization are extremely excited uh, about the possibilities of AI, especially within CS. I'm pumped. I'm excited about everything that we're going to be able to do faster and better internally which shows up ultimately better outcomes for our customers. And a couple of examples I can share, Ross, that we're doing today, like right now, is maybe I'll give you two examples. One is maybe on the propensity to expand or propensity to cancel. We have built an ML machine learning model that looks at about 150 data points of a customer in their journey, including what they may have done during the buying journey from payment terms, uh, contract terms, deal cycle lengths to post cycle, what are they actually using in the product to usage patterns. So there's a large number of data points that we've put through uh, an ML model that is giving us essentially uh, what I would call a risk score, a risk score which we're able to use internally to understand when maybe customers might be going off track in their ability to get value from their investment in HubSpot. And this risk score is now being made part of that alert that I described to you. And those alerts are part of that engagement model. So that risk score is using an ML model and really helpful during these times when, you know, when you have an economy, when customers are understandably trying to understand their spend and how they can be efficient and effective with that. Uh, Ultimately, we want to solve for the customer. We want to get them the right outcomes so they realize their investment is leading to greater results for their business. But we want to pick up on signals where we see some risk. So this ML model is really exciting for us. The other place is maybe more on the efficiency side. 
we're working on this thing where as a CSM, you can show up each morning and you punch in a command into Slack and it's going to tell you, Ross, here are the three customers you need to engage with today. And they're not always risky customers. They could be customers who are ready for maybe expansion or there's a cross-sell or upsell opportunity as part of expansion. And we'll tell you why we've picked these three customers. We'll give you the playbooks that you should use. So that's where AI is being used is to really go deep into a ton of our data. And this is where like HubSpot, to your earlier point, we're so customer-centric, we have tons of great data. So we're using our data to understand through ML, through AI, what are those three customers? And that's where I think efficiency comes into play, where you take away, again, guesswork. You make it a lot more easier as a CSM to be excited each morning. We're telling you, here's where you have the best opportunity to drive outcomes for your customers. Here are the top three and go do what you need to do with the playbooks and the insights we give you. The other one that I find really cool that I've been using personally is when I'm about to jump on an executive call, I'll go to Slack and I'll issue a command that will generate almost in real time a PDF that pulls together lots of great insight on a customer's account, things I should keep in mind, recommendations. Think of it as sort of my PDF that I take into an executive business review with the customer. So I'm able to quickly take that PDF and have an awesome conversation with the customer. And I think that's where like sort of the uh, significant upside of AI is, is tap into our data and help us get super efficient and also effective with the way we're able to bring value into conversations. I think there's a lot of feelings, rightfully or wrongfully, I'm not too sure, I'm not the expert at it, but yes, AI will do things that drive a lot of automation, but AI can also help you be a lot more strategic as a CSM when you come into these conversations. So that's where I think AI is going to be huge. And also, by the way, you're going to need humans to train the models. It's not going to be perfect. So there's a group of folks in the CS organization that look at the results of AI and are constantly tuning our models so it helps CSMs get even better results as they're using some of our AI work. Yeah. No, that's fascinating stuff and great summary. It's very compelling. Fully agree with that point around leveraging AI capabilities. It's not all about just automation, auto generation of X, Y, Z. It's really an avoiding and, and HubSpot clearly has not made this mistake, but where I'm sort of trying to guide other organizations to not make the mistake of skipping straight to automation and skipping over the analytics side, which is where you get that strategic curation, personalization of what then will be automated because automating generic and even worse sort of incorrect motions is like, well, who cares that you can automate it? We've got to make sure the actual motion, the task is is curated based on some advanced analysis. And just the sort of propensity uh, scenarios, there's clearly an equation here around this propensity to become predictive, to then become prescriptive, and how that really sort of forms a, a very potent three-part equation that is really coming to life in HubSpot. I think it's going to be pretty inspiring for a lot of organizations listening to this, and I think it's a good place to wrap up our conversation, at least this chapter, G2. I really appreciate all the insights that you've shared today. For anyone listening who would like to maybe learn a bit more about CS and HubSpot, uh, maybe follow you, what would you recommend in terms of channels to explore? They can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Yeah, love to connect. Or they can even email me if they have a question I'm happy to share. It's my first initial, the letter J, last name, Matani at HubSpot.com. Perfect. Well, that's 
very generous. I'm sure there'll be a lot of excited folk out there who would love to maybe take that up one day. For everyone who's joined the show today, thank you for joining. As always, lots of resources on www.valuewise.co on a lot of the subjects that G2 and I have talked about today, especially around prescriptive outcome frameworks. So do check that out. But in the meantime, we'll see you next time. ValueWise yourself, ValueWise your customers, and stay well. Thanks, G2. Thank you, Ross. Take care.